0: Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast, where we talk about interesting recent work in natural language processing.
1: This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence.
0: Today's paper is Question Answering from Unstructured Text by Retrieval and Comprehension by Yusuke Watanabe, Bovendingra, and Ruslan Salakutinov. These are folks at CMU. And this paper takes a look at the question answering task, but slightly harder than uh, a lot of current iterations of it so uh, instead of like in the squad data set uh, where you're given a passage that contains the answer to the question and a question about the passage here you're just given a question and a corpus of documents uh, that hopefully has the answer to the question that you're that you're trying to ask and so the first thing that you have to do is find in that collection of documents some document that has the answer and then you have to run some reading comprehension model that you might have run- learned on Squad or, or some similar kind of model to actually pull out the answer to the question. And I say it's different than current iterations. Actually, this general notion of question answering has a long history in the Trek tasks. But uh, current models are focusing these days, seems like, on um, what we're calling reading comprehension, where you're given a particular passage of text, which simplifies the, the problem quite a bit. So this paper is looking at the harder version of the problem. Though, I should note that they're looking at the Wikimovies dataset, which actually isn't quite a reading comprehension dataset. The issue is that the questions aren't really human-generated. They kind of are, but really kind of aren't. So what the authors of the Wikimovies dataset did was, for each, this is, uh, you take Wikipedia articles and you take facts from Freebase or Wikipedia. uh, and I guess there's a correspondence between these, so it doesn't really matter uh, which one you say. Um, They take these facts and then uh, for each kind of fact, they wrote down some number of templates, question templates. And then given a template and a fact, you could automatically create a question. So you can automatically create a very large set of uh, pseudo-natural questions using this template-generated approach. And there are a lot of problems with using templates and calling it language, and so, I, I like to think of this data set as a slot-filling dataset. So the, the distinction that I make between slot-filling and reading comprehension is that slot-filling means you're uh, given a fact with something missing. So in Freebase, maybe you're given Colorado is a state, and you want to know what entity is in the relation uh, location contains with Colorado. So like you might be looking for the United States, for instance, because Colorado is in the United States. Or you might be looking for Barack Obama's birthday. You're given some fact that is uh, essentially just a machine-readable representation of a fact with something missing, and you have to fill it in. And reading comprehension uh, or question answering, on the other hand, has an actual natural language question, and so the. Uh, reading comprehension or question answering is strictly more difficult because you have to deal with the, the ambiguity of language on both understanding the, the meaning of the question and understanding the text of, that you're trying to read. Whereas slot-filling, you only have to deal with that ambiguity on the, uh, the, the passage comprehension side. So anyway, they, they call this a, a comprehension task. I think it's actually a slot-filling task, but it's still it's still interesting to consider.
1: So they can uh, relatively alleviate this uh, problem by using different templates while training the model, and uh, then they're they're using at test time.
0: Yeah. So I guess um, the the WikiMovies dataset tries to be a little smart. Like they they know that these are templates, and so uh, you're going to have this. Um, like, it, it's essentially just, it's it's not natural language. They try to make it a bit more like natural language by taking some of the templates and only using them for the training data and using other templates for the same slot at test time. This this is still, though, pretty artificial to me, I think, because really you just have to, to do, uh, find the, the closest template that you saw at training time and use that as, like, use the model that you learned for that in order to answer the question. So yeah, it, it does a little bit better than like a traditional slot flank thing, but still it, it's not. It's not question answering, it's slot filling. A little side note, I was at EMNLP when this was presented, and uh, this this data set, and one of the commenters uh, got really mad at the wiki movies, like the authors of this, because they're like, stop calling this language. Um, uh, I, in, in fairness to the authors, I this th- I think this is a useful data set. It's just slot filling. It's not question answering. That's all I would say.
1: Okay, just to clarify, the slots the names of the slots are going to be shared across the train and test set? Only the templates are different? Yes. OK. Yes.
0: So I'll mention one other, one other thing about this data set before moving on to the models that the paper is presenting. Um, so uh, the paper split these templates into train and test. So you only saw some templates at train and some templates at, templates at test. Another way to do this would have been to split entities between train and, and dev and test so that uh, Essentially, you can't memorize facts about entities that you see at training time and use the facts that you've memorized at test time. And this would have been a, a different and also interesting way to do the data set. Uh, I guess it just gets at different kinds of things. One trouble with this is that if you're using an, an entity embedding kind of method, which uh, a lot of the, the methods on this um, Wikimovies data set do, then you're going to have a hard time because you're not going to have entity embeddings for, tra- for test time entities, which just makes this hard but it also means that you could make this much less of a reading task than a memorized facts at training time task so anyway other other trade-offs in the data set that you choose to use
1: yeah, and that that would have made the problem much more realistic because oftentimes when we're dealing with a real problem we actually don't see many of the entities that we, we uh, at this time
0: yeah so Uh, I guess we can see, they they do get this paper, the modeling decisions made in this paper do get at this a little bit as we'll see in a minute. So the the model that they're using to do question answering is essentially what's uh, this this model called the attention sum reader. This was uh, a couple of years ago, I believe, that was first presented on the CNN Daily Mail reading comprehension dataset. And the way that the attention sum reader works is you encode the question into a vector, and then you run some sequence encoder on the passage, so you get a vector for every word in the passage. You compute an attention between the question word, sorry, the question vector and each word in the passage. You normalize the the similarities into a probability distribution over the passage, and then you sum up the probability that corresponds to each entity in um, or or each possible answer option, which in both of these data sets is an entity. So you you, you sum up all of the attention that corresponds to each entity, and then that is your probability distribution over your answer choices, which are the entities. And they use basically a vanilla attention sum reader with a couple of additional inputs to the initial word embedding. One is for capitalization. They have an indicator feature uh, specifying whether this thing is capitalized, which you could think of as like a poor man's NER. uh, version um, annotation and they also uh, have entity linking uh, as an additional input which if you're trying to um, map like I- if you want to find facts about entities and your answer options are all entities knowing which words in the document that you're reading correspond to which entities is pretty important for making this decision
1: but how, how does this how is this encoded in the, ne- in the network?
0: they they run an entity linker and then they take the they have an and they learn an embedding for every entity and they concatenate the entity vector with the word vector uh as the input to the passage lstm all right i guess in this case it's a it's a by gru same basic idea and when i looked at uh their model it seems like there's a whole lot of overlap between this capitalization feature and the entity linking and so it's not clear to me why they have both of them, but apparently they found it useful, otherwise they wouldn't have done it. So it's, I guess, an interesting thing to try. Uh, One other interesting point in their modeling decisions is that some of these questions have multiple answers. So uh, maybe the question is, who is the president of the United States? And you can get a list of 45 different people. And um, you want to handle this intelligently in your loss function. So if you're looking at, I guess it's pretty common if you're doing some kind of multiple choice question answering to compute a probability, a probability distribution over answer options. And then uh, train your model to maximize cross entropy loss. So you predict a probability distribution. The label is a one-hot probability distribution over, I guess a one-hot vector, which is a probability distribution. And then you, you try to, you maximize cross entropy loss between these two distributions. All right, sorry. You minimize uh, cross entropy loss,
1: except if there are multiple correct answers, there will be multiple ones in this.
0: Yes, exactly, and then it's no longer a probability distribution, but your making y- your model is still outputs a probability distribution, and so then your loss, by definition, can no longer be zero. You can still try and do this anyway, so that that's what they do. They they minimize cross entropy loss versus this uh, sum of one hot vectors, which is okay, also a little bit awkward, um, because if you think of like your model outputs uh when you you really want to output a 1 for something that's true now you're going to if, if there are two true options and you want them both to be scored highly the max score you can give it is 0.5 yes. and if there are three options the max score you can give it is 0.33 and so if you want to rank these these um outputs and you're doing this like you you can't compare Probability distributions over different questions anymore. There's like there's no absolute score uh, because you're forcing your model to distribute the probability mass across multiple entities. So th- this is, this can get a little bit awkward and makes me wonder like why didn't they just use some kind of ranking loss? But I guess that's just a different decision you can make. It's still it's still in a ranking loss, you don't have like you you still have to find some threshold if you want to actually decide what which things are true and which things are false. So you're just pushing your problem to somewhere else.
1: So at training time, there's an easy way to get around this problem by just instead of using ones as the, the gold answer, use halves. Um, but then this, uh, this does, doesn't solve the problem at decoding time. How do you select um, which subset of answers uh, at prediction time? And still it's not clear to me how, how they do this.
0: They just use ranking metrics at, at test time, so they don't even try to handle this. They just output a ranked list. Which, which, again, makes me think that a ranking training objective would have been a totally natural thing to do. But yeah, that's OK. There, there are different ways to do the same thing. OK, so then uh, that's that's their model for given a passage. How do we pick what the answer is? It's a, a, an attention sum reader with a few additional inputs and trained with this modified cross-entropy loss, Some sum of, sum of cross-entropy losses. And then their ranking model is essentially the same model except instead of outputting a distribution over entities or tokens in my document, I'm out going to output a single score, which is, is this document even relevant? Does it contain the answer to my question at all? And to train this model they used, um, they, they took the question and passages that they knew had the correct answer and trained the model to, I guess they sampled 10 negative, negative documents from some corpus. They had 18,000, I think, uh, Wikipedia articles. And they sampled 10 of those uh, and trained the model to pick the correct one out of the set of 11 using just cross-entry loss.
1: The model you presented only uh, discusses how we can get an answer from a given paragraph. But it doesn't tell us how to select some of the documents. Uh, Presumably, there are millions of documents or uh, at least thousands of documents we want to select uh, to find the answer in. How do we do this?
0: So, they train the model in the way that I talked about. So, you have this essentially an attention sum reader where uh, you have a question vector and then you get a word vector, passage vectors, a vector for each word in the passage. And you compute an attention over that given the um, question vector. And then you pass these through some final feedforward MLP and get a single score which says, is this document relevant or not? They train this. Uh, given the correct document and some sampled negative documents. And then, uh, given the question, they run the model on all of the 18,000 documents in their corpus, and they select the top K and use that as their passage. And they do this in a preprocess- in a pre preprocessing kind of way.
1: Yeah, this sounds very expensive.
0: Yeah, you, you can imagine if their corpus had been millions instead of 18,000, running it on all of them probably would have been hard. But even in that case, it's not its not too bad to take the question, run it through a search engine, get the top 1,000 or 2,000 results, and run this more expensive model on all of those 2,000. Like, that's totally feasible.
1: Yeah, I think that would be a reasonable thing to do.
0: <clears throat> and another natural thing that people have tried, you might uh, be thinking that we, they should have done this, is use reinforcement learning. So use reinforce to get a signal for the retrieval step, have a single model that's trained end-to-end to do retrieval, and answer the question. They say that the reason they do this is because reinforcement learning is too hard. Uh, we have too many documents to make this feasible. So uh, if their set is 18,000 and you want to do reinforcement learning over this, maybe you're going to have a hard time. Uh, I know that Ansel Choi has a paper where she did this. Uh, on a related but slightly different data set, WikiSuggest, I think it was called. Uh, Though there, the reinforcement learning step was deciding which sentence has the answer in a document. And so the number of choices you have for the reinforcement learning to learn is more on the order of 100 or 10s of sentences instead of 18,000. So yeah, maybe they do have a point here that maybe this is too large to be feasible with reinforcement learning. I don't know, I haven't tried it. I guess one last point about uh, this modeling stuff is they make an interesting analogy to models that do like sequence-to-sequence models that can either generate words from some vocabulary or copy a word from its input. So these have gained a lot of popularity recently on um, like some semantic parsing tasks and uh, document summarization and uh, question generation. So there have been a lot of tasks recently where this kind of model has been used. And they make an interesting analogy that you can think of question answering this way too, if what you're you're outputting is an entity. And they uh, have this combined model where either they can um, use the attention sum over the document in order to answer the question, or they can output uh, just an entity from their list of known entities, their entity vocabulary. And so at the end, uh, they have a component of their model that outputs a gate which says, how much, should I, how much do I think this document actually contains the entity and I should trust my attention sum component versus how much should I trust, or if it's not there, should I just generate an entity from the vocabulary? And you can imagine that for common or head entities where you have good, good uh, distributions and you've been able to memorize a bunch of facts at training time, being able to generate just from uh, your vocab without really having paid any attention at all to the document is a good idea. Whereas if it's a tail entity that you haven't seen very much at training time, uh, you don't have good embeddings for it, being able to to get that entity from an attention of a document is a good idea. So I, I thought this was a really interesting analogy, uh, connection between these kinds of models that I hadn't thought of before.
1: Yeah, I'd be very curious to see if uh, any of the uh, cases where the model choose to create to select an an entity from the vocabulary are actually correct.
0: <laughs> yeah, so the they give some examples of that and they're mostly on uh, like questions about what language something is in. So uh, one example they say I think there's this I think it's a movie, so what language is Milgaya in? Some Bollywood movie and the answer is Hindi and English. And Hindi and English never actually appear in the document. You just have to know that Bollywood produces movies in Hindi and English. And by having seen that enough times in the training set, you can just predict from your vocabulary distribution, your entity vocabulary distribution, that Hindi and English are the answers.
1: That is very interesting.
0: Yeah, it was, that was a that was a nice piece of work here. So my main takeaways from this, uh, I think Wikimovies is a moderately interesting slot filling data set. Uh, it's still not clear to me the extent to which we should actually use this instead of wiki reading which I think is basically the same thing but on a much larger scale uh, but this was an interesting paper on wiki movies and uh, so it's it is an inter- you, can, you can do some interesting work with it and though I guess you should note the performance is getting pretty high uh, their numbers are like I think in the 80s yeah and in this end- to end, setting where they're actually answering the questions after having done retrieval they get like 80 86 uh hits at one performance like ac- accuracy at one is your top prediction correct so they're doing quite well in this data set it's not as clear uh, how much room there is to improve
1: it is a a challenging problem given that you have a very large set of documents to select from Uh, yeah, i'm surprised to see these numbers
0: Yeah, I guess that 86 number I said was on this wiki entity subset that they created, which is removing any question whose answer doesn't actually show up in the document. So like the Hindi, English, Bollywood example wouldn't be in that subset. So uh, if you look at the full data set, actually their number's quite a bit lower um, in the 60s.
1: Even in the subset, they're they're searching for the answer in the entire data set. They're not only constrained to a few documents that are selected.
0: Yeah, I, I guess this is another point I wanted to talk about, it, but I forgot. So they compared against some really simple retrieval baselines. So instead of learning a model to figure out which document has the answer to your question, you can just literally use a simple search engine with some simple heuristics. And their boost over that is almost nothing. So actually seems like retrieval in this setting is pretty easy. You only have 18,000 Wikipedia articles and you have to pick, uh, like there just isn't that much ambiguity over which article is going to have the correct answer in most cases. I think think that's what we see here.
1: It also tells us that uh, this is good news basically because uh, using a search engine or um, a way to do keyword matching would be a much cheaper option.
0: Yeah, except, so I'm working on a pretty similar problem which is given a science question and a large collection of science documents. Find a document or a passage or paragraph or something that supports the answer to this question. Retrieval is a lot harder there, like the simple retrieval baselines work in some cases. But uh, you, you get much more complicated questions, and it's a lot harder to find the correct, uh, find find a, a document that actually has the like a reasonable answer to the question you're trying to ask. Does that make sense?
1: Um, it's not entirely clear why is this the case. Um, is it because you have to do multi-step reasoning in order to find the answer?
0: I guess it's because some of the questions are like, uh, what causes a marble to fall to the bottom of a glass of water? And so if you're doing retrieval, you're gonna lo- you're gonna find stuff about marbles and water and stuff. And what you want is is some description of gravity. I see. Yeah. And the retrieval problem is just a lot harder in these kinds of settings. Yeah. yeah. So my takeaways from this paper, uh, I guess the modeling decisions that they made weren't incredibly novel, I didn't think. Like, they just used out of the box, like the attention sum reader with some minor tweaks. This analogy to, this, to the generate plus copy sequence to sequence thing was pretty interesting. Um, what I got most out of this paper, I'm working on a similar problem, and uh, these authors published the tweaks that they needed to get this to actually work. And I can read this paper and say, oh, hey, I can try these tweaks. Like I've, I've done similar stuff, I haven't tried the exact things that they did, and so this is really useful for me in seeing what things I should try next to, to try to get this to actually work on my task. Just some like minor experiment level configuration kinds of things are just really useful to, to get from these kinds of papers. And I think that's all I had to say.
1: Thank you for presenting this paper, Matt. Next time, we'll talk about a paper titled Discourse-Based Objectives for Fast Unsupervised Sentence Representation Learning.